In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Will all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward? <laughs> and I won't step on you. How's everybody? Good? Y'all good over there? Hey, y'all come over here so I can see you. There we go. You know, when I was growing up, about y'all's age, I liked to play baseball. You know, I have, I have, I have, there are eight boys in my family and one girl, and so we, we had an automatic team, whatever we played, really. Uh, and then we would go outside and some of the neighbors would join us. We played soccer and kickball and tetherball and dodgeball and baseball. Did I say football already? So we would play that all the time. We would always play. What? You, I thought you were in the car. He was. Come on. Right here. You good? There we go. So we used to play all these games all the time. And, and we would choose teams. You ever choose teams? And so I want Joe, and the other one says, I want Henry, and the other one says, I want Julie, and the other one says, I want Betty. And sometimes I might be the last one to be picked, and I just didn't like that at all. Makes me feel like I wasn't wanted. You ever feel that way? Never, ever, ever feel that way? Ever, never, ever feel like you weren't wanted? You know, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players ever, did you know he got kicked off the basketball team in high school because he wasn't good enough? And then he went on to become the best basketball player ever. He kept going. He didn't let that destroy him. Did you know that Jesus felt rejected? Not only did he feel rejected, he was rejected. People told Jesus that his teachings were all wrong. And in fact... People felt so bad about him, they put him to death. They put him to death on the cross because, they, because he got, Jesus got rejected. I mean, it's that simple. He got rejected. Now, a lot of people loved him, and a lot of people really listened to his word, and that's why the church is here today. But there are a lot of people who just rejected Jesus. I wonder how Jesus felt. Do you think he felt like kind of like, like we feel when we get rejected? You think so? But he kept on going, didn't he? He kept on going. And again, we're sitting here today because of who Jesus is and what he did and what he taught us. Because every time we read the Bible, we read about what Jesus taught us. Jesus is good. And, and, and even though he got rejected, he kept on going and doing what the Father in heaven wanted him to do. And that's what we do too. When we feel rejected and when we feel like we're not good enough and when we feel like nobody loves us, we just keep on going and keep in the right direction. Keep on going in the right direction and we listen to our Father in heaven and we, and we do what he says. That's what God wants us to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought you did. Okay, y'all have anything you want to say? Anything y'all want to say down there? You do? What do you want to say? Goodbye. 
Michael Jordan. He what? Mike, the, the basketball player knew God. He had God, didn't he? And he knew that, that even though God got rejected, uh -huh. that he still kept on going. Hey, and he knew so that that's he, what he did. That's what he did, and so he just kept on going too, didn't he? Because he knew Jesus kept going. He kept going, didn't he? Good point. That's a great point. Thank you for sharing that with us. Okay, if you want to get a, a, a packet over there from Mr. Music... You can color, bless you, you can color and, and go sit with your parents or grandparents, whoever you're with, and, um, and listen to me. <coughs> there are some of us in here, in here, who are a bit seasoned. I mean, I'll, I'll admit I'm one of those. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seasoned senior. Well, someone came along and took some of the old hymns and changed the names of those hymns for us seasoned seniors, like the old rugged face or precious Lord, take my hand and help me up. <laughs> it is well with my soul, but my knees sure do hurt. <laughs> Nobody knows the trouble I have seen. Just a slower walk with thee. Go tell it on the mountains, but speak up. Give me that old-timer's religion. Blessed insurance. <laughs> Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, I've forgotten where I parked. The I learned today why Corey Tin Boom, the saint that she was, changed her name. She got tired of introducing herself as Corey. Boom, 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 boom. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And if that were not enough, I hate it when I think I'm buying organic vegetables at the grocery store, and I, when I get home, I find they're just regular donuts. <laughs> I hate that. Robert Munger, in his book, My Heart, Christ's Home, he uses the analogy of his life, his heart, as being compared to a home. And in the book, Munger gives Jesus a tour of his heart, a tour of his home, and together they walk through the study, they walk through the dining room, they walk through the living room, the workroom, the playroom, the bedroom. And one by one, Jesus transforms each room into a place where he will be right at home. But one day Jesus points out something to Munger. There seems to be something dead and rotting in a whole closet, a room in which Jesus has not yet been invited. Munger reacts defensively 
and begins to wonder to himself, Jesus has the rest of the house. Can I at least just have one little room? But after some thought, he decides, okay, I, I might as well. I've given him everything else. And within moments of allowing Jesus into that dirty, stinking closet, Jesus cleans that small area and a new fragrance fills the whole house. Now, instead of Jesus being a guest in that house, Munger signs the title over to Jesus and allows him to be the Lord of that house. Munger goes from being host to servant. And Jesus goes from being guest to owner. His surrender means that the cycle of sin and failure and rebellion has just been completely broken. And that's a need for all of us, isn't it? That's the only way to be free from the destructive, rebellious nature we so often put forth in our lives and in our hearts. We are to surrender our lives completely to Christ, the very life given to us, which is already his anyway. We are to surrender that which he already owns. I tell you all of this because that's what our gospel reading is about today. We have in front of us a very tough parable which seems to speak a whole lot about judgment. Bless you. To put it in context, the religious leaders had come to Jesus asking, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And so Jesus tells them a parable, a parable, a parable about God's kingdom. And he says that God's kingdom is like a vineyard that an owner had planted Evidently, this owner had gotten a small business loan, made improvements, added a white picket fence around the vineyard, built a watchtower over in the corner, and then he rents it out to some tenants and he heads out for the high country to take care of some other business. Well, years go by and the tenants are free to enjoy this vineyard, but it's not their vineyard. They don't own that vineyard. They haven't done anything to improve the vineyard. All they do is enjoy the fruit of the vineyard until that day when the owner sends someone to collect his rent. But now the tenants act as if they themselves are the owners. They shamefully beat the owner's representatives. And so the owner, he sends another set of servants to collect the rent. They beat them too. In exasperation, the owner sends his son and the renters beat and kill the son. Well, so far, this story is about what? Rebellion. And we all know about rebellion. We read about every single day in the newspaper or on the television. I mean, look over in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now. Look in our own homes right now. We read about it, we see it on the news, we experience it in our towns, in our churches, in our homes, in our individual lives. Rebellion is an ancient theme in the Bible. It is the story of Adam and Eve, it is the story of Cain and Abel, it is the story of the Babel, the Tower of Babel. 
And the rebellion continues all the way through history up to the present day. Always the result is the same, alienation, heartbreak, tragedy. We are rebellious by nature. We like to pretend that we are in control, that we are the owner of the vineyard. We forget that everything we have is on loan to us from God. It all goes away someday. We don't own anything. Ultimately, everything belongs to the Creator. Now, up to this point, the parable is utterly true to what I see of God and what I see of our human condition. But I am puzzled by the way the story ends. You've heard me say again and again over the last few years that the miracle of the gospel is that at Easter, God chose to write a different ending to this kind of a story that we read today of the gospel reading. You know, I've never gotten over being astonished, not just by the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, but at the fact that God was willing to do that in spite of what mankind had done that God had any affection left for the folk who had killed Jesus, that to me is the miracle of all miracles. You know, my wonder is intensified because of my feelings as a parent and as a grandparent. It's one thing for people to mistreat me, and I'm sure there are limits to my tolerance for this sort of thing. But when, when it comes to that only son of mine and his wife, my daughter-in-law, and my five grandchildren, I don't believe I could control my anger, much less keep my, my hope alive if people did to them what people did to Jesus. I've often wondered what must have been in the heart of God on the night of Good Friday and all through the day on Holy Saturday. There, Jesus was brutalized, blood spattered, lying lifeless in the grave. And there was the human family, most of them not even realizing what they had done. A few of them smug in the idea that they had overcome even the sun. I find what did happen sometime during the night on Saturday utterly incredible. The father awakening the son, resurrecting the son, healing those awful wounds on his feet, his hands, his side. And then saying to him, we cannot stop now. They are still my children. It is not my will that any one of them should perish. And without a word, in fact, probably with the sparkle in his eye, God could not even wait for the sun to come up to get back to it. So now here's something I want you to realize. There is a new ending to the story of the wicked tenants. Thus, it has always puzzled me why the parable ended the way it did. And then the other day, I noticed something that I had not seen before, or if I had, I had forgotten it. That the ending of the parable, the, the word of vengeance, they're not the words of Jesus necessarily. Having described the mutiny of the tenants, Jesus asked the people, what will the owner of that vineyard do? And the people said... He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give the fruit in due season. But little did they know that they were condemning themselves 
with their own answer. Because you see, the parable, it was about them. The parable, it is about us. This parable should be a warning to every single one of us. It is a parable of rebellion and judgment, which says that the vineyard may be taken away and given to others. By whose authority? Let us be reminded by whose authority as we sing and pray and speak and serve and worship and celebrate in this holy place. This is not our vineyard. This is not our church. This is God's church. It's just ours on loan for the one who created it, for the one who died for it with the death of his son, for the one who called us to be here in the first place. So you see, the parable does make sense. It is right about God, and it is right about our human condition. What no human being ever dreamed would happen did indeed happen on Easter morning. What we would have done in such a situation is not what God did in light of his everlasting mercy. You know, God wrote a different ending to this parable. God decided on resurrection, not on revenge. Instead of playing the get rid of game and looking for better tenants to care for the world, God chose to play let's get on with it game and redoubled his efforts to make the tenants better by a process that we call redemption. You know, I read, I read about a child who had just learned how to write. And as she sat in church one morning, she wrote these words on paper and handed them to her parents. Dear mom and dad, I love you. Do you love me? Please answer by circling yes or no. And that really is the question that haunts all of us, isn't it? Does our God really, truly love us? You know, as children, we ask that question in ignorance. As adults, we ask that question out of a sense of guilt. Can God still love me after all that I've done? Well, the great word of the gospel is that in the sending of the Son and in raising him from the dead with blood-spattered hands, God drew this big circle around yes. He really does love us. Unbelievably, incredibly, unendingly. And so instead of beating and killing those who come to claim the produce of the vineyard, folks, let us give ourselves back to the rightful owner. Let us turn ourselves over to him that he might be our ruler, our guide. Let us be the servant. Let him be the owner. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.